Hi everyone and welcome back to W Rated, the podcast where we watch the world's worst rated movies with today's episode exploring our fifth film on IMDb's Rotten 100. As always, I'm Daisy and I'm joined by my podcast co-host and editor Claire. Claire, how are you doing today? Hello, I am doing okay. The sun is shining. Um, I feel like that's as good as it's going to be right now. So <laughs> it's going to be a dark episode, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It could be uh, could be a little bit more fun than uh, <laughs> some of the more grim ones of the past <coughs> date movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm definitely very excited for today's episode as we are joined by um, another guest, a new friend of the pod, but by no means any less lovely. It is Lou Thomas. Lou, welcome to the pod. Good afternoon. Hello. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm loving it. Full of the joys of almost spring. Makes such a difference, doesn't it? So, Lou, as you picked today's film to come on the pod to talk to us about, um, we kind of have a bit of a tradition where we would love for you, the guest, to introduce the film and tell us a bit about why you wanted to chat to us about it today and um, if you have a bit of a relationship with the film at all. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure I'd go as far as to say I have a relationship with the film. Um, you know, even even a filthy one night stand would be a bit much for this. Uh, the, uh, what a way to describe yeah. the film! I love it. In terms of how I feel about the film, let's get. We'll get into that in great depth, I'm sure. But but the, the basic gist of it is, for ages, I'd see glimpses of it repeated on ITV2. Now, as we know, ITV2, uh, for any listeners outside of the UK, ITV2 regularly shows poor films, occasionally the odd good one, repeatedly, things like Hot Fuzz. Uh, I was going to say, they always show Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, and I will take no slander against those films. (laughs) (laughs) Those films are very good, that's fine. Um, Edgar Wright, as we know, is certainly one of the more interesting, certainly commercial um, British filmmakers, but we're not talking about Edgar Wright right now. Unfortunately. Other than that, ITV2 shows a lot of repeats, shows a lot of late night family guy and American dad, which is primarily what I use mm-hmm. ITV2 for. However, mm-hmm. for a while, they would show Jack and Jill all the time. Um, and it was something that I hadn't really entered my consciousness when it was on its cinema release in like 2011, but it was always been on telly the last sort of five years. And I'd always see clips of it and be like, what is this dirt? What is this appalling film? <laughs> Adam Sandler, as we know, can be great. We'll come on to him properly later. We know he can be great, very funny, and talented as a serious actor. But this is just... Mm. Oh, it's appalling. It's appalling, but sometimes what's appalling in life sometimes sort of suckers you in, you know, like a siren to the rock. You know? <laughs> yeah. Very that morbid curiosity, definitely. <laughs> Anyway, so, so, so that was where I first sort of came across the film uh, in clips. Now and again, I'd see bits of it on ITV2 late at night and then I'd immediately turn over or go and do something else like <laughs> wash my, do my washing up or something. Anything would be better, you know. <laughs> then yeah. um, when the, this pod um, concept came up, I thought that's a brilliant concept. I've got to get involved with that. It sounds like something fun to do. <laughs> I looked through the list of, of the worst films and there were loads of interesting, funny ones, but I thought, oh, God, that's completely mm. ridiculous. And the thing I really remembered was the Al Pacino. Um, his, mm. It's not a cameo. <laughs> it's quite a reasonably big supporting role. And like, in oh yeah, I'm a big <laughs> fan of Al Pacino, and it is kind of interesting what he does in the film. But we'll, we'll get to that later. Anyway, the, 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 
The final thing I'm going to say about the actual viewing of it is I I went to to watch it again for this um, to record this podcast and to, to sort of you know remind myself of it. I, I put it in letterbox the other night when I watched it. And I'd seen that I'd actually watched it in full before, about four years ago, but I'd completely erased it Ooh. from my memory. So I'd oh. like I'd actually watched it. <laughs> so now I'm not sure what that tells you. I think that's your brain trying yeah. to help you. you got it. It's, it's yeah. healing. Got it. so, so, so that's my relationship with the film. But I'd obviously watched it, completely forgotten that I'd watched it. And I'd, I literally didn't know that I'd watched it in full before. I, re- I didn't. I didn't know. But I had. I love that I definitely think I've had that with films before where I'm sure I haven't seen seen something and then realized that I had and gone do you know what that's probably for good reason that I'd forgotten about (laughs) Claire had you seen the Jack and Jill before no don't even know I'm sure I must have seen the trailer in the cinema um I'm not an Adam Sandler fan. I'm not even like the good Adam Sandler comedies. I'm just not a fan of that style of comedy. So a bad Adam Sandler film would definitely never (laughs) come near me. Um, Sure. I had seen tiny bits of the Dunkachino thing and didn't really understand what it was or what was going on. And I think, again, Mm. in my brain trying to heal, my brain was like, just instantly forget it. It's not worth looking into. Don't hurt yourself. Um, And so then... (laughs) Don't get suckered into this. (laughs) Yeah. Then uh, Lou decided to pick this film quite early on in our run, so I didn't get to bury it (laughs) as deep down as I hoped I would. Uh, And I had the pleasure of going to my local CEX last week and buying a DVD because I don't have now TV to stream it. So I now own a physical copy of this film. Lucky you. Lucky you. So you can inevitably forget that you'd watched it and then watch it again in four years' time like Lou. Well, I, yeah, but you say you say that. I, I checked if it was on streamers and whatever, and I was like, I'm not paying six quid or something. So I actually exactly. own a physical copy as well for like 250 or, or something. Ah, well, DVD buddies. I feel left out now. Oh, I've got a copy of it. It's like, what? What am I going to do with that? Am I ever going to watch that again? I doubt it. I actually <laughs> haven't seen this film either. And it was interesting because at the beginning of um, when we were pulling together this idea for this podcast and sort of starting to promote it um, on Twitter and such, um, I actually walked into my living room to see that my, that my housemates had it on the TV. And I was just like... This is a sign. This is a sign that this is definitely something that we should be doing. Um, and I kind of watched the end with, uh, oh, a scene with um, Pacino and then the Dunkachino uh, sort of scene at the end. And I was just like, yeah, I'm happy to put this one off for just a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> but I was intrigued. I was intrigued. And, you know, uh, we'll come on to it a bit later. But it was what I felt like it was one of the easier watches that, I've had so far but obviously we'll go into a little bit more detail when we when we chat about what we think about the film for those who haven't seen the film Jack and Jill came out in 2011 it is classed as a comedy film and it's got an average rating of 3.3 out of 10 on IMDb it's ranked number 38 on the bottom 100 which surprises me actually considering you know only 37 films are worse than this <laughs> we shall see we shall see <laughs> it was directed by dennis dugan who also directed happy gilmore grown-ups big daddy and just go with it among many others he is a seasonal adam sandler director and um, so as we know quite a good few films there and written by steve corran who also wrote bruce almighty and click 
two of my personal favorites. So you'd think that would be a good recipe for a, for a good film. Um, but maybe because it's also written by Adam Sandler, that's where the issue comes in. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I need to uh, do a bit of testing and watch some more Sandler films. But uh, obviously he stars as a dual role. Um, the plot follows um, him, his character called Jack, who's an ad executive. Uh, and basically his life takes a turn when his annoying sister comes to visit for Thanksgiving Spoiler alert, also played by Adam Sandler. Uh, he plays both the titular Hill. roles. <laughs> it's both the titular roles, the twin titular roles. The, the twin titular roles? I'll go. keep working on it. I'll take it back to the drawing board. Um, um, and then obviously, as we've mentioned already so many times, and we will continue to mention him, Al Pacino does play a big part in this film too, as well as Katie Holmes playing um, Jack's wife. Uh, she doesn't get a lot to do here, um, but she uh, she's in it. We can see her. She's there. She's there standing there, beautiful, being Adam Sandler's wife, you know. He's already shaking his head. Adam Sandler <laughs> film. The thing is, she's, it's a bit of a non-part. Katie Holmes, it, 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 she's, it's the classic the wife character. But she, she oh, you know, yes. says half a dozen lines or something in the whole film. And they're all like, oh, looking after the kid or doing something. It, oh, it, it's almost like if you're going to get a decent actor to, to play the wife role, mm. give him something to do, you know. And that's one of, the, one of the many flaws in the film. I mean, I know it's not supposed to be seen as high art, but come on, you know. Yeah. I listened to a different <laughs> podcast um, that I'll mention later who also looked at this film. And they described her as the sexy lamp. And apparently that's what that's the Adam Sandler <gasps> wife in thing. movies. They're a sexy I've lamp. I've definitely heard that before. Yeah. Definitely heard that before. Um, oh, yes, this is a great example of that, I think. Um, before we go into any more detail, I just want to give a spoiler warning for anyone listening. If you do want to go watch Jack and Jill, you know, each to their own, <laughs> if you do want to go and watch it and uh, ahead of hearing any spoilers, please go and do that now because um, we're going to be heading into spoiler territory when we is sort of go into a deep dive of the film and all of the plot details, etc. So go ahead and do that and come back because I really want to know what you both, Claire and Lou, thought about this film. Should we start with Lou as our special guest? What did you think watching this? Well, back, I guess, but kind of in a, in a new, refreshed mind way, <laughs> considering you'd forgotten it before. What did you think of the film? The thing is, I think we need to, before we get into all that, we need to really mm -hmm. end your spoiler wall in a touch and say, if you do want to go and watch this film, you've probably got deep-rooted psychological issues. Because it's so, <laughs> it's so bad. Um, it's a basic premise. Actually. You feel like, right, okay, so he's going to play, uh, Adam Sanders playing this TV exec guy and uh, his sister, right? So we, we, we know that. Now, if you've got, um, let's say you've got a, a director like Pedro Maldivar, right? Someone who really knows what they're doing with sexuality and gender and having a laugh and, and mm -hmm. you could really do something really funny and really cool with this film, with this basic premise, no doubt. Uh, I mean, if you go back through mm -hmm. history, you've got mm. films like Glenn and Glenda, the Edward film, which is appalling, although I've only ever seen like bits and pieces of that, but I don't need to see all of that to, to you know what I mean, to get the gist of it. Um, mm -hmm. But like, so the basic premise, you feel like, well, okay, okay, Adam Sandler, whether he's your taste mm. or not, I mean, Claire's obviously said that he's not necessarily her taste, I'm kind of on the fence with mm -hmm. Sandler as a... Like, when he's good, I think he can be very, very good. And when he's poor, I think he can be completely yes. miserable. But I feel the same about a lot of 
Um, <laughs> you know, I love um, On His Day. I mm. think Will Ferrell's very good, but I also think a lot of Will Ferrell stuff is almost unwatchable. Um, you know, I'd rather... Absolutely. Like, really good point. Really hands, good point. I'd rather put my hands in a meat grinder than ever watch Elf again, for example. But that's not the point. That's not the point I'm getting at. Oh, Thank you. I tried to watch it three times and never got through it. I'm so glad to have a friend on the sad elf shelf. Right, right. So, the sad elf shelf. I guess what I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying is that comedy, we know, is like one of, if not the most subjective um, yes. genres of film. Absolutely. It is. But personally, you know, I mean, I've... <laughs> Uh, years ago, I, I've done stand-up. I've written the odd joke in my life. I, I, I'm not like the funniest geezer in the world, but I can tell a joke if I have to, sort of thing, right? <laughs> so, um, but there are so many different types of comedy, and, and 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 what appeals to one person won't appeal to another, and blah blah blah. But Adam Sandler exists mm-hmm. in this kind of world when he does these mainstream films that is part slapstick, part ridiculous silliness. Mm-hmm you know, kind of fart jokes and whatever. A good fart joke can, can be better than anything. It can be, can be high art, you know? That's fair enough, you know? And, and can it? it? <laughs> <laughs> Who would like, watch, like, Dumb and Dumber? That's one of the fun. That's completely ridiculous and silly and, and, and toilet humour. But Dumb and Dumber is... Yeah. If you watch Bottom, the old series, you know, um, Adrian Emerson and Rick Mouth, that's... And Blackadder and yeah. like that. Mm. Comedy can be low or it can be high or whatever. You know, the, the, it's all comedy, isn't it? Frasier is comedy. The same as, like I say, a bloke falling mm. down a, um, falling down the street on a banana skin can be comedy. You know what I mean? So, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I'm not a snob. What, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is, I'm not a comedy snob at all. <laughs> yeah. But with yeah. Adam Sandler, yeah, it's not about high or low art. It's, it's about how it's done. That. But with this film, it's like, oh, oh, god. You, you, <laughs> what, what is it even on about? Like one of the opening scenes. Uh, Adam Sandler as Jack, he's a TV ad exec, and uh, they're shooting an advert. Um, and it, the advert, the premise of the advert is something ridiculous about someone having a stomach ache and, and like a Pepto Bismol, I think, is the American mm-hmm. um, thing. And, mm. and suddenly, the bloke on the on the bed who's complaining of a stomach ache starts going, oh, and starts cracking up and going crazy, and it's like. It just sort of falls flat. And there's loads of scenes like that mm-hmm. in the film where it's almost as if the script is a first draft. It's like you can see where they're sort of going with it. Mm-hmm. Like the basic premise, the skeleton of the film, you're like, oh, yeah, if this was worked on a bit, if these jokes were punched up a bit, second or third or fourth draft, you feel like, mm-hmm. oh, actually, there, there could be something good. But it, it, it's almost as if... They've not bothered mm. going beyond, or or a script su- a supervisor, or, or yeah. actually not a script supervisor because their job is just to keep continuity on set. But like you feel like somebody should have mm-hmm. gone, oh, hold on, this is all right, but we need a couple of rewrites to get this sharp. You know, that's yeah. what you've got to do. <laughs> I can confirm actually that there were two rewrites. There are people credited for the rewrites, so Trust that them. just goes to say something, really. Did doesn't they, it? <laughs> did they make it better or worse then? Because one of the things that I, I found would love with to it. Know that. It's a little bit like Lou was saying, the skeleton is fine, but then a lot of the jokes feel like they're just loads of different jokes that they've just sellotaped next to each other. Like the right, certain points yeah. of the film just feels really like 
choppy like there's the whole yeah. scene with the price is right and i'm like why is this scene in this film like it doesn't relate to anything yeah. else in the whole movie yeah. and, yeah. and exactly. i wonder if some of the rewrites were like putting more of those jokes in like oh we've got another mate that wants to do a cameo let's chuck it in i'm like why stop yeah stop. yeah it's <laughs> like they've got a whiteboard of all these different kinds of jokes where they're split up with like slapstick wordplay blah 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 and then they kind of just go I haven't really had a joke in a while. Should we pick yeah. something from the board and make it right, right. So, and try and fit it in somehow? Exactly. So there's there's a couple of couple of the, the sort of not running jokes, but a couple of the um, jokes um, structures that they return to. For example, mm-hmm. there's one where Adam Sandler as Jill is trying to remember um, "It's a Wonderful Life." And, yes. Um, yes. Talking about it. <laughs> and then and then round the table, people go, "Oh, it's a wonderful life." And then and then and then he as Jill is saying, oh, oh, no, but, yeah, but what's the name of the film? And it's like, okay, that's not really very funny. You could possibly make that yeah. in another way, but it's not, it doesn't quite work. And it's and then they return- also, it's quite yeah, it's an old yet. joke. Yeah, like, yeah. that joke has been done yeah, and they return- so many times. They return to it again. They do it again. And, as a, as a, and I forget, I'll be honest, I've, I literally only watched it a day or two ago, and I've actually forgotten what the other four mm. is. I, yeah, I can't remember the second one that they do. The second one, and it's... It for, the, the, because I think you you know what's going to happen. You've seen this joke before, yeah, so you just kind of yeah. check out. And it just don't... Yeah. Again, it just don't really... It just don't really work. You, you've got to be mm-hmm. educationally subnormal to, to, to actually get, like, something out. <laughs> oh, God, that is a phrase that I am going to take away from this podcast. Oh, that is brilliant. Well, I love well. that. <laughs> you, can actually, you can actually feel yourself getting stupider as you watch the film. You know what I mean? 100%. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Luckily, not. I feel like as much as date movie when we did because that was that was tough, wasn't it, Claire? Maybe it's because we have Lou here today because it was just us two doing date movie before. We really, really struggled to even start a conversation. Yeah, it did take us twenty minutes to actually get the episode going. I had to cut so much out of the start of it because it was just the two of us dying, shaking my head, and I could feel my one brain cell like rattling around (laughs) because I couldn't after that. but Claire, tell us a little bit more about sort of your impression watching this, film, watching this film. Obviously, you said that the jokes weren't there for you. What did you think about the plot itself? Do you want to tell us a little bit about more about what happens yeah, when, when so, Jack's sister Jill comes? So she comes to Thanksgiving and it gives you the impression that she's come every year. They very briefly give you like little mentions that their mother has obviously recently died and that she, Jill and the mum are very close. So she is a bit lost without the mum, but they don't really ever explore it. It just is like a little throwaway comment every now and then. But so you get the impression that Jill is very sad and very lonely, but she's also incredibly overbearing she stays for Thanksgiving weekend. She ends up figuring out a way to get herself to be invited to stay longer. And then she keeps staying and keeps staying. And Jack just wants rid of her. He needs her out of his life. He wants his home back. He wants his normal, calm, brilliant, beautiful life back. So he decides to set her up on some dating apps, um, which doesn't go well. Then um, at a... Is it the joint birthday party? Yeah, the joint birthday. So, And he's trying to get Al Pacino. He's trying to woo Al Pacino to come and work for him being an advert. So yeah. he invites Al Pacino to their joint birthday party. Pacino locks eyes with Jill and suddenly decides that's the woman for him. Um, <laughs> and so then Pacino is chasing Jill for most of the film. Jill isn't interested, starts to develop feelings for the gardener. And then Jack then decides he doesn't want Jill to go because he needs Jill to get Pacino to work with him. And it all becomes this big thing about 
Jack learning to love Jill and accept her for who she is. Um, and it could have been an okay plot. I actually think there is mm-hmm. a good plot buried in there in that, yeah, you know, <laughs> the, the idea of one really successful twin and one unsuccessful twin and then look yeah. at like the loss of her mum. You could have explored that a little bit yes. more, which yeah. it, it kind of, they mention it briefly and then it comes in right at the end, but you kind of don't mention it for the whole middle part of the film. And I think that could have been explored more while still keeping the comedy element to it. I don't think you would have had to go really deep and like make it really sad, but it does just feel like a patchwork of random scenes and random clips and random cameos of just them mm. going like, do you know what would be really funny if we got David Spade to also dress up as a woman oh, and yell insults across a restaurant. It's like, would that be funny though? Would it? Yeah. Do you want to just test that out with some normal people and see? Because we get that you're friends and it's funny for you. <laughs> but I I did play a really fun drinking game when I watched it um, to get quite drunk. <laughs> David well, Spade, you've got morning, four drinks. So, but, I, but I was tempted. It was, oh, really? it was one of those moments. <laughs> I don't think there's a, a drink where it's absinthe for what that's strong enough for me to drink and think this is a good thing. No, but it did. It soothed the anger. I felt like it. It, it calmed. Well, I'm not. I'm not advocating hard drugs yeah. at all. But I feel like I could inject smack into my eyeballs all day and still it wouldn't. Be. <laughs> oh my god! You know when you get like really good pull quotes for a poster, like I want to redo it. Jack and Jill's poster just with quotes from Lou. <laughs> Just to kind of, you know, give a bit more of an idea of what you're actually getting into. (laughs) One of the things as well, going back to the plot, which is going a little bit off topic, is after watching this, I rewatched Fifty First Dates, which I love. It's it's a lovely, lovely film. And one of the things that upset me in Jack and Jill was the long running joke of the animal abuse. (laughs) Like people trying to eat the bird people taping the bird to the back there was something else I'm sure of an animal and I was like what is with this like on his back yeah and I was like I'm not gonna lie I did laugh at (laughs) so I am quite sensitive to animal stuff so I do know that like there's at least 20% of my dislike of that is a personal dislike but it just kept going Mm. and going and I was like has this ever been funny? And so then when I rewatched Fifty First Dates, he plays, um, he works in an aquarium in that film, and there are little silly jokes of animals mm. in that too. But I just found them a bit less offensive, and I hold, found the whole film, there's so much of the same level of humour and so much of the same level of, like, crassness, but because the scenes with Drew Barrymore, they fill with a sense of love, that that counterbalances the crassness yeah. in yeah. this film. Because they are because it's adam sandler playing jill he over succeeds at making her annoying she has no redeemable features so there are no scenes where you enjoy spending time with her to like give you that warm fuzzy that i think the film is missing yeah do you know what i think that leads perfectly into sort of my view of the film where like you said with something like 50 first dates it's got that substance there it's got that element of romance and drama as the basis so that you can elevate mm-hmm. it with comedy and make it mm-hmm. something 
something else developed into. Um, ultimately, we do have that substance there. Like we have the relationship with uh, them too. It's quite tense, obviously, with the mum dying. That's a great sort of break in normality to bring mm-hmm. them together. Um, but again, like you say, it's just glossed over. And the idea that you said, obviously, that the idea of the film is how Jack learns to love his sister. And it's like, I just watched this last week and I'm like, I feel like, I'm like, was that the was that the point? Because I remember <laughs> it happening, but that felt more throwaway than the than the running jokes. The running jokes felt more integral to the plot in some way than actually the resolution of the story. Yeah, the resolution of the story was like, yeah, we've done that now. Forget about that. Let's look at someone else in a dress. Like, yeah. and I think ultimately it just got lost, so lost in the the laughs at the fact that Adam Sandler was dressed up as a woman that the ideas like you say were buried there but if you actually brought them up more I think it would elevate the comedy so much more mm-hmm. uh, the issue with Adam Sandler films uh, where the ones that don't perform as well and some of the ones that do perform well but people just don't necessarily like is there's obviously this running thing of him going to wonderful locations with beautiful women and his friends it's just that good for him like he makes mm-hmm. money from it it's he's living his best life but ultimately what it comes down to is is this funny for you and your mates or is this funny for a paying audience and i think that's really where it lies in whether this these his films do well or not and whether they're like received well or not and i think that's why this didn't is because you're sitting there going why should i find adam sandler in a dress funny because that's the kind of thing you'd find funny if you knew the person Mm. but like it gets old very quickly and like you say it loses that sense of like this point of the story because how can he play up op- i mean he probably could he's a good actor when he wants to be mm. play opposite himself and actually give it a bit of substance and but you know emotion committed but too he's well not here to, he's not here to do that he's not all here right, to do all that right, all right. <laughs> question here's a question for you both how the hell did yeah. it cost nearly $80 million to make? Because you look on screen, you, know, you probably paid for check. Well, we're getting, I've got a thing I want to talk about Pacino in a minute, right? But mm-hmm. obviously, mm. Thunder has given himself or as part of it because it's Happy Madison and it? he's production company yeah. that have, have made yes. it. Yes. So he's obviously on what? Probably 15, 20, right? Uh, yeah, he got 20, apparently. Probably, probably, a cut, of, probably a cut of the gross, two or three percent of the gross as well, right? That's the standard, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some get more, some get five, six, seven, eight. But we, we're not, we don't need to talk about that. But $80 million, when you watch it, aside from what you've paid Pacino to appear in it, and aside from what you've paid Sandler and that, there's no way, there's no way this film is more than like 10, 20 mil. Because there's no. All the location stuff is stuff they've shot in California. It ain't like they've gone to Botswana yeah. to shoot it. It's not like they've come around here in, in South <laughs> and driven about. They've not done anything. They've not gone anywhere. They've not crashed any planes. How is a poor comedy mm-hmm. $80 million? Yeah. It ain't. So Christ knows what their accountants will be doing. Uh, well, I don't even want to know what they would be doing <laughs> on sets. <doing> that stuff. <laughs> you know. The thing that annoyed me as well because normally they do go to lovely locations but yeah it definitely looked like it was just filmed in california the house looks beautiful but watching that film you would not know that that is a beautiful house i don't know who was in charge of the cinematography right any scene in that gorgeous like spanish style mansion just looks awful it looks so horrible and again like how much did they pay for that gorgeous house to film in they don't even sell it like they don't make it look luxurious and relaxing yeah 
there's a lot of close-up shots now I think about it mm. a lot of close-up shots so as that if, might be like, because like you say two characters I mean a lot of it's so easier a lot of it was, yeah that's true a that's lot true. of it was shot on sets anyway you, you can see yeah. you can see a lot of it mm. on a set yeah but, 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 like, but you are right if you're shooting half of it on a sound stage it should cost even less because you're, yeah. you're, yeah, yeah. you're, <laughs> you're not closing roads off but and paying off paying off the council or not that council, birthday whatever. scene that yeah. birthday scene had like 20, 30 people all doing cameos. Maybe all the cameos got paid Maybe full the cameos, daily rates. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a list of cameos here. See how many new... See how many... Yeah, Johnny, Johnny Depp obviously wearing the Bieber shirt. Wonderful. Um, Regis Philbin, Dan Patrick, Shaquille O'Neal, Drew Carey, John McEnroe, Christine Brinkley, uh, Bill Romanowski, uh, Michael Irvin, Jared Fogel, yeesh, uh, Billy Blanks, Vince Offer and Caitlyn Jenner. So I mean, who about three of those people are? I'll be honest with you. I yeah, I think it's. I don't know whether it's a cross cross Atlantic sort of yeah. miss I mean, most for of us, probably... or whether they weren't that good cameos to begin with. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know who Shaq O'Neal is, of course, because he's a massive yeah, basketball of course. player, and and you know, like you know. But then again, if you ask the average person in Britain to name five basketball stars, they would have they would have difficulty getting beyond sort of Shaq and Michael Jordan, really. You know what I mean? But well, yeah. I couldn't even na- name Shaquille O'Neal. If you say his name, I know who he is. But if you ask sure, me to, to name not. him, I'd be like, um. <laughs> but anyway, anyway yeah, even so, even those cameos, that's you're not paying that much for, for, for them. For them, no, you are, you're getting ripped off, really, aren't you? Um, well, that that's it. Someone's mm. doing some yeah. creative accounting where, somewhere. Hundred percent. Where did that eighty million go? I'd be <laughs> very interested to know. You know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, was there? So obviously we've spoken a bit about the plot in terms of like there being a, a potential good story there, but the jokes just weren't landing. Did you guys find yourself laughing genuinely at any point? Because I thought I'm going to watch and see when I, the first time I genuinely laugh because it had been a little while and I was just like, I'm going to make a note of the runtime. But then I realised it was only like 10 minutes in, but I did let out a little like exhale through my nose. Uh, I think <laughs> which the I only... ashamedly admit, I ashamedly admit was the, was the sweat shadow. Like I was like, oh, this no. is ridiculous. Oh, that just <laughs> it was more of a, <sighs> it was so disgusting that I was like laughing, like how is this? Oh Jesus. I literally, laugh. on the second part of that, where Al Pacino finds the sweat shadow, oh, I literally just... wrote in capital letters in my book, Al Pacino did this red sweat scene with like a hundred question marks. I found it so yeah. offensive. So, so one of my favourite things in, in, in comedy is when they can be bothered is uh, big stars uh, sending up their own image uh, and their mm-hmm. own uh, yeah, yeah. And their own personas, whatever. So, for example, um, I love what's a great example. Well, so the sort of Tropic Thunder is actually full of great examples of it. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Tom Cruise in his sort of, you know, as the violent producer is, is yeah. a good example of that. But, but Robert D- Downey Jr., as the, as the intense method actor, I think is particularly good. Mm-hmm. It, this is nowhere near as, as good as that film, but Pacino in this, I do love the fact that he's 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 gone full tilt with it. He's on stage and he's and he's, he's oh yeah. It's where Pacino is playing. Obviously, in this film, Pacino is playing a version of himself, and that version of himself, he's a serious yeah. actor on stage doing Shakespeare. And someone's phone rings and he goes mental at him, and and obviously that's satirising <laughs> the fact that everybody thinks Pacino is quite an intense guy because if you look at his career you probably yeah, would be yeah. intense if you played the godfather and you played 
oh, I don't know, The Panic in Needle Park and Serpico and all these amazing films that he did in the 70s and then more serious stuff mm-hmm. in the 80s and even Carlito's Way and Scarface and whatever. Yeah. He's clearly uh, an mm-hmm. intense screen presence that you can't stop, you know, you can't stop looking at Pacino when he's on screen, yeah. you know. Yeah. So the fact that he does kind of mercilessly mock that and especially the best scene of the film for me is the, the the penultimate scene where he finally agrees to do the advert for, um, and it is a yeah. brilliant satire, and it's like him doing a ridiculous cheesy singing performance, mocking his name, yeah. in like what a Dunkin' Donuts advert basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually, I actually uh, really, yeah. really like yeah. that. But what I like even more, I don't know if you guys have clocked <laughs> it, but the um, there's a, a, literally this week someone has. Because everybody's bored in the pandemic and making like throwaway ridiculous stuff, even more so than in the normal times. Mm. Um, mm. Someone has cut the the advert scene at the end, Pacino doing Dunkin' Donuts. Someone has put that with the with the synth, the music from Gangsters Paradise. Now I don't know if you two have you have you two heard it. <gasps> no, hilarious. No, brilliant. I haven't seen it, but I love that song. You imagine, oh, that sounds great. So imagine just the the synth, the synth sounds of that. So imagine Gangsters Paradise, with the vocal, <laughs> yeah. but with the vocal of that. Yeah. Someone has cut that. If I can oh god, amazing. The thing is, it's difficult to actually search for because I don't think anyone has done it on YouTube. Someone has just done a clip of it and put it on. Yeah, no one puts like keywords or anything in there. Yeah. I was like, they must have known. They literally this week this has happened. They must have known we were going to do this <laughs> because I was absolutely oh, so much. I had to go and wash my trousers. I'm not even joking. <laughs> um, but anyway, no, I had to bring that yeah. up. I had to mention that. Oh, I have to seek that one out. That's really fun. But anyway, no, absolutely. No, for me, for me though, um, yeah, I, I there's the odd bit. I mean, actually, I know Claire didn't like it very much, but I actually quite like the the, the mental kid is like. <laughs> There's one bit where the little kid, there's a little kid in it. I think he's is is uh, Jack's adopted son, and he's yeah. he tapes like, <laughs> yeah. takes what looks like yeah. a turkey to his chest, and he takes like a hamster to his back, and then there's <laughs> a bit where he tapes like a saucer. I did laugh at that. Kid, and then he's like pouring the spit yeah. on, on his food yeah. from his head. Now that is just so ridiculous and so bizarre. I actually quite like that. It reminded me a little yeah. bit of the scene in. I think a scene. I think it was in the Wedding Singer where where he gets paid in like gravy or meatballs, right. and he has meatballs poured into his hands. So we know that, that <laughs> right. sometimes has these um, has these sort of uh, sur- almost surrealist touches that, that, that are so ridiculous. It's not, mm, it's yeah. not silly. It's just bizarre. And again, Will Ferrell and all those lot kind of do this. <laughs> Adam Sandler when yeah. he do it. And, and that I, I sometimes not every single thing I watch, but I, I sometimes do have a taste for the bizarre. And I think like a, a kid saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For me, I was actually thinking, oh, that's quite funny. It's, but, 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 yeah, it's kind of like you know the, rest of the, the more throwaway moments, I guess, when it feels like he's not trying so hard to make everybody laugh that actually work better. Yeah. It's like the things that are happening in the background, the things that are happening with the side characters, essentially when it's not him. <laughs> no offence, Adam, but I feel like all the things around him worked better than the jokes that were going on. That being said, I didn't mind Jill as a character. I kind of felt a bit bad for her at some mm. point when, you know, she wasn't getting any matches online over uh, her dating profile, things like that, when she was sleeping in her bed, having like, looked like she'd been crying. And 
and I think also it helps. I know, um, Claire, you said that you didn't feel like she was made to be likable at all but I think what did help was the fact that the kids loved her yeah as their mm-hmm, auntie mm-hmm. if we didn't have that I think it would have been a much harder to kind of absolutely watch because you're watching two annoying people and also you know Jack as a character he's just mm-hmm. just an asshole like clearly there's contention between them but like they didn't show why he hates her so much other than her just being embarrassing and if anything that just made me feel bad for her I just think they they just went that little bit too far. And just as you were speaking, I was thinking, because one of the things I wrote was, I think it would have been a better film if someone else had played Jill. And obviously the one that you think of would be someone like Melissa McCarthy. And I'm thinking of her character in um, Bridesmaids. But who is her character Mm. in... Is it Identity Thief? Like her character in Identity Thief is a horrible person who has very little endearing features, but then they break away at her. And by the end of the film, you were so rooting for her. And Sandler just went that over the line, just that little bit too far with pushing Jill, he didn't give her those redeeming features other than the fact that she was rejected. Mm. So you only feel yeah. for her Very when you look at her through the prism of other people. Yeah. She in herself did, oh, just wasn't yeah. given anything. That's a good and point. He just, yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, actually, Melissa McCarthy would be thinking about it. I can't, couldn't agree more. Like, yeah. I mean, let's face that'll be a really good film. We all love. Let's face it. Anyone half decent loves Melissa McCarthy, right? Um, yeah. She's brilliant in everything. Blah blah blah. We, we, we can pretty much agree with that. But like, um, mm-hmm. then the only trouble with that is if you get if you did get a decent actor in that role or whatever, you'd um, or rather you didn't have any you had anyone but Sam, then you wouldn't have the high concept, would you? You wouldn't have the two Adam Sam <laughs> yeah, high yeah. concept. So sure. You mm-hmm. kinda lose mm-hmm. that. Which which is fine for everybody. Yeah, I was gonna Adam, ask yeah. Adam Sandler fans would be like yeah. oh you know, it wouldn't be as whereas that's probably why yeah. you've got so many people to see it anyway. People going, Oh I like Adam Sandler, oh he's doing yeah. this, that looks quite yeah. Cool, you know? Yeah. It's an interesting one whether it would have because we always try and sort of talk about what we feel would have just helped this film not be the worst. Like, was there one or two tiny things that just sent over the edge or was it just, like, wrong to begin with? And it's interesting, actually, because you'd automatically think, oh, if it wasn't Adam Sandler as Jill, then maybe it would be better. But then would it be the same film? No, No, which is why I think it would be better. (laughs) Well, yeah, quite. (laughs) Well, exactly. Talking about, just going back to the other supporting characters, I don't remember the daughter at all but the little boy i thought actually had really great comedic timing Mm -hmm. yeah there was a few jokes that i can't actually i I should have written them down in full um because i can't quite remember them all but little things just the way that he was very witty one of the ones he said was when uh jack was kind of saying oh jill what are you gonna wear for your big date where the kid knows that he'd set basically set her up on Craigslist uh, with weirdos. Um, and the little boy is just like, what are you going to wear, Dad, when you're in hell? And yeah, it's just the way that he said it. I was like, sassy, love it. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> that was Probably a good had one. a hamster tied up, pasted on his back at the same time as well. Good for him. Exactly. He's got a little personality. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, was there anything about sort of like the the way the film was made? I know we sort of said, Claire, that you felt like the cinematography just really didn't do much to show off where the, where the money then <laughs> went. Sorry. I know that we've spoken before about how we kind of don't mind the kind of really clean, crisp cinematography that isn't trying to tell any of the story itself, but 
it's just creating this kind of location where you go oh that New York looks lovely I want to go there kind of thing Mm -hmm. but I think that we agree with what you've just said that it kind of got lost because it wasn't really showing anything off probably because it was all on soundstage but was there anything else about the way that it was made you feel like let the film down as well or did you not feel like there was much I didn't feel like there was much to it I felt like it was just like okay I'm watching this film with this plot and these jokes and that's kind of that's it it. there's nothing else here it's thin I mean you take out the concept you take out the high concept and there ain't a lot to it. It's not. It's 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 an indistinct bit of filmmaking, and in that, mm-hmm. it is literally just. A yeah. that You could have set it in Philadelphia or LA or, or any mm-hmm. American city, really, and you yeah. wouldn't necessarily know. I mean, I know there's a basketball game. Is that the Lakers or, or someone? But like, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so. The, that's the but again, thing. could be placed anywhere. That could be anywhere because you're not actually. You don't get. A film. Yeah. Other than it's like generic American comedy. Mm-hmm. You don't, and it's and it's that that Sandlerish vibe. You, you don't mm-hmm. get a feel for anything, do you? There's no there's no yeah. sense of place to it, is it? And that's kind of well, you are like well, yeah. And don't get me wrong, everything you, other than you, you don't need you don't need a sense of sorry, I'm I'm, I'm bulldozing through this like no, go ahead, no go. <laughs> you don't necessarily need a sense of place with comedy because if you look at true, I don't know someone like Judd Apatow's comedy mm-hmm. you look at you know the likes of people like Seth Rogen and 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 all his all his sort of mm-hmm. crew that make all those films whether it's super bad or knocked up or whatever or anything that I don't know Christine Wig makes for example Christine Wig makes mm-hmm. you look mm-hmm. at all these films and a lot of those don't really have a sense of place they could be shot anywhere no. but the difference is they've got heart and you feel for the characters and like you know yeah. you watch mm. old virgin you can relate to those you can put yeah. yourself yeah. in that location you're like, I know people like that and you're like oh that's really funny and that's quite a clever way of looking at yeah. it or whatever whereas that's the trouble with this film is and, and even again something like his good stuff like Wedding Singer or Fifty First Dates you, you do sort of feel for the characters and you, you do kind of get into it a little mm-hmm. bit whereas that's well, this lacks it kind of lacks everything doesn't it? it lacks the depth it lacks mm. the characters you really give a shit about it lacks the mm. goal for the main character and it goes back to what Daisy said that she didn't even realise that was the point of the film of Jack learning to love Jill yeah. because in Fifty First Dates his goal is that he wants to travel the world he wants to go on his big boat trip and he is a guy with a goal and a mission and he's working to get the boat done up and then he meets Drew Barrymore's character and falls in love and has to choose between his life's goal and this person that he's fell in love with Jack's mission in Jack and Jill is to get Al Pacino to sign a contract so he can have more money to continue living in his really big house and continue going on cruises. Like, it is very... Uh, yeah. Why should we care? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no struggle. There's no struggle. It's, well, either you're yeah. going to get the work or you're not, and if you don't get it, you'll get some other work, and if you do get There's it, There's no sense great. of stakes, really, because no. I know that they said, and as someone that works in PR, like, it... I know that feeling of like we need we need to impress these clients we need to deliver but it was so kind of like I'm just going to say this exposition so you understand why Al Pacino is in this film um there's no actual sense of stake here whether we will lose this client there's no sense of whether that will actually impact my job um I'm just talking to this really annoying exec that I don't that that I don't like about this thing that's meant to happen so that the rest of the film can happen mm. um <laughs> And it's interesting as well, because usually with a film, you'd kind of get, um, this is a difficulty with the pod, I'm going to do something, it's trying to explain something visual, where you kind <laughs> of have what you what you think is the arc, 
where mm-hmm. you have the issue and then whether that person, you know, how they get there and whether they get it. And then in the background, you have something else happening, such as, mm-hmm. you know, the contention between Jack and Jill and actually mm-hmm. around you know, the third act or into the third act, you start to realise that the point of the film isn't what you thought it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're so used to that, you know. We can tell and it doesn't make the film any less interesting if we know that that main mission isn't the real mission after all. Mm -hmm. But it kind of doesn't change in this film. It tells you it does. But at the end of the day, we're thinking about the Dunkachino ad that he inevitably gets, which is what the first mission was. And we're not remembering the fact that Jack and Jill are friends again. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I, d- I don't really think you thought that you didn't give it enough oomph. It just mm-hmm. got lost. And that's why it kind of feels a bit empty, I think. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is a shame. Actually, I've just remembered, I've remembered something that I feel like is, I feel mm. it is relevant. Um, mm-hmm. mm. This film is so bad. And I like Al Pacino. And I thought, why has he done this? I mean, obviously, he's been offered like a few million or a couple of million. <laughs> yeah. Why, why has he done this? So, so I Googled Al Pacino tax, right? And I thought, oh, <laughs> nice. Well, he's landed with a massive tax bill. That's why he doesn't, why he's wanted to take the money. And when you look, the first thing that comes up is, Al Pacino getting done by the IRS in 2011 for 188 grand. Now, okay, that's fine. But when you dig into it, you find that they were shooting this film about January 2011, right? Mm -hmm. So they were shooting shooting in 2011, released it late 2011. Kenneth Starr, the the business business manager, a load of... um, Hollywood stars, including Al Pacino, he got nicked mm-hmm. in May 2010. So you know that in 2010, Pacino knew there was some bad stuff coming with his tax. Yeah. Get done, right? <laughs> yeah. I, wonder if, I wonder if he took he took on Jack and Jill because he knew. Yeah. He knew that he was going to have to pay off a load of tax. He needed a yeah. quick half a million <gasps> or whatever on the hurry up. Did Pacino take Jack and Jill because he knew he had to do a load of crap and get a paycheck? <laughs> I think maybe he did. I mean, I think you've built a solid <laughs> argument for that there. I'd I have to be hard-pressed to uh, unconvince me of that now. <laughs> but the best thing is I did a similar Google, but I didn't think to look into his taxes, and he did this, like, <laughs> shitty Sorry, article. this is just a funny concept. <laughs> he did this, like, shitty thing. He did, like, the Hollywood bullshit, you know, when you do, like, the press. He was like... I've decided in my old age that I want to take on films that aren't so good so that I can set myself a challenge to make them good by my presence. And I think (laughs) my performance in Jack and Jill elevates it to at least a mediocre film rather than a bad film. And I'm actively choosing roles in films that might not be good with the hope I can make them good. I'm like, all right, Mr. Pacino, it didn't work. Is he friends with Sandler now? Probably not. He's like spun that so so fucking well like it's not the tax it's not the tax yeah. look at me doing this thing because I'm so amazing me helping out people that make bad films by turning up to just a make but that makes me think right so because I really liked I really wanted to talk about Pacino again in this film because <laughs> I think it's one of the best if not the best thing about it would it have been yeah. better or worse without his presence are we agreeing with him here or <laughs> so I I really struggle with the Pacino thing because oh really 
I had issues with not his performance, but his writing, like the way they wrote him. Right. He, his pursuit of Jill made me so uncomfortable. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. It, 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 just, it was, again, just Creepy. always that one step too far. It felt very predatory. It made me uncomfortable to watch. I just needed everyone to just take one step back i felt like they crossed over the boundary <laughs> that could have been funny um but i don't think that's his fault that's the writing's fault um well he's he playing committed. a character even if the yeah. character is himself isn't it yeah. so he he committed and you cannot fault the commitment he went all Absolutely. in i i wrote down does he think this will be his meet the parents because you know meet the parents <laughs> gave Nero a career resurgence and got him in the comedy which is obviously much older to do when you're getting to an older age than the stuff De Niro was known for. So I was like, did Pacino think this was going to be his meet the parents opus magnum? Oh, whatever? Pacino, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless you. That makes me feel really bad, but also at the same time, like, I'm still I'm still on the tax thing. Uh, <laughs> I think you're onto something there, Lou. I really 100%. think you're onto something there. Oh, well, what do you think, Lou? Do you think it's better, or better for Pacino? Or? Well, I mean... In that role, if you think about it, if if you were going to say, right, we're going to put a serious actor uh, who, like, the, the purpose of that, if, if you look at it, you, you, you've sketched out that film and you've got mm-hmm. um, uh, Adam Sanders' job as a TV exec, you know, if you're thinking, right, who's the most ridiculous actor to do something that's not yeah. serious... To be honest, there's only three or four really big American actors you could have got to do that yeah. who would be up for, you know, mocking their persona. And you mm-hmm. really, you're talking mm. uh, big actors. You, you really got Pacino, De Niro. Uh, mm-hmm. who, who else really of the big American actors of the last sort of 50 years would even be in yeah. terms of... It, it wouldn't be funny mm. and it wouldn't really work unless you had... You need someone of that stature, and really, and you need someone with sure. that history as well. You couldn't go for someone younger like Leonardo DiCaprio or Johnny Depp or someone yeah. who you know is regarded as like a high caliber Oscar winner because you need the history, yeah. you need the, yeah. the regard. Yeah, completely, completely. Like DiCaprio and, and and even even Brad Pitt, who's who's obviously like now mm-hmm. he's in his fifties or whatever age he is. I forget Brad Pitt, but like like even that mm-hmm. that wouldn't work because they've had a, a varied career of, of doing. Yeah. Serious mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and not so serious and whatever. Yeah, is- yeah they already have this F, uh, presence of being able to make fun of themselves. Whereas, yeah. like yeah. you say, it's yeah. a very small niche of people who are so serious that you can't yeah. imagine them not being yeah. intense which, as a person. Which is why it kind mm-hmm. of needed. It could have only have been yeah. really De Niro or Pacino because just, just like you know, I mean, if he was still alive, maybe someone like Marlon Brando, perhaps. But, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. but you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he wouldn't. He would have been probably about the same sort. You're talking like leg- screen legend really isn't it? yeah and it's and it's really everyone, yeah absolutely everyone who's everyone who's between sort of i don't know 30 and, and 80 you'd immediately go oh american oh pacino de niro that, that, yeah. there's only two or three you could really name so so i do get it and it's like um yeah i, I never didn't really think about it as much at the time but i think claire's right in terms of it is a little bit it is a little bit sleep. I mean, that is part of it, isn't it? It's, it's not Al It Pacino is part of it, Al yeah. Pacino, yeah. Al Pacino playing, you know, Al Pacino in quotes, so to speak. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. he's mm. sort of dedicated in, in chasing Jill. And it is a bit much. I personally think it could have been it could have been more extreme and and and, and more mm-hmm. um, predatory than that. But it's 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 probably goes it probably goes as far as to, to make him seem like a real sleaze bag anyway, you know? Yeah. I suppose mm. the redeeming thing would be that when, towards the end, when he does give up and he does go, oh, hey, you know what? Enough yeah. Mm-hmm. 
uh, which which gives it a little sort of makes it a little bit friendlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was uh, two things actually about Pacino quotes to be specific that I really loved and I wondered if you guys found them as funny is the one uh, where Jill destroys his Oscar and wow. she's like, well, you've got more, right? And he goes, yeah. you'd think so, but no. <laughs> and that absolutely killed me. Oh, yeah, look, look, I've written that, I wrote that down. I'm sure you have others. <laughs> you'd think so, but oddly enough, I don't. So I've actually written that nice. down. I, it, yeah. Yeah. How that was phrased, I was just like, Brilliant. how is that absolute <laughs> piece of gold in amongst all the rest of this crap, to be honest? If every line was as good as that, this would be like a 9 or 10 out of 10 film. Oh, you yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like mining yeah. for gold with the little like panhandles. Yeah, uh, yeah literally, <laughs> find one nugget. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you were to like, um, you know, do a, a compilation or, or make a show about some comedy or whatever, and you just show mm-hmm. that, that clip, You'd be like, oh, that might be worth. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, sure absolutely. Well, maybe that. they probably put that in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other one was right at the end. Which do you know what, Claire? I really want us to use this if we can for our podcast because <laughs> Al Pacino, after watching the Dunkachino advert, says, yeah. "It's totally deadpan to Adam Sandler's character. Burn this. This must never be seen by anyone. All copies must be destroyed." No good. And I feel so, like that should be like our ranking for like so that how be at bad the end of every films are now. Yeah. So just, any film we don't like, that audio clip just goes at the end of it. Yeah, that's what I envision because okay. that that really, really set me off as well. <laughs> so there was some humour in there, If it, even if it was uh, hard to find. Yeah. Was there any other kind of bits and pieces you guys sort of like stuck with you or any sort of trivia you found on, on your research that you wanted to uh, share about the film? The only thing I would, the only other bit, I mean, I told you, Mike, my, my, when you Google tax, it comes up Pacino and then that, that mm-hmm. then you, you investigate. <laughs> yeah, gold. that's gold, I love you that. investigate your own thing. He was having tax troubles. He obviously knew about them before he was making <laughs> So what does that tell you, folks, like I said earlier? But um, <laughs> the thing that interests me about it is um, you both probably very familiar with the Razzies, the uh, or what mm-hmm. yeah, the golden a personal fave. The golden raspberries <laughs> is what they're called uh, for anyone who doesn't know what they they mean. Any listeners or that, but the Razzies are, are, are every year they're like a the the anti Oscars in the awards are given to the worst films of the year. Um, in the case of Jack and Jill, it was nominated for. It was nominated for every award, all 12, and it won all 12. <laughs> the only film to have won all of the Razzies it was nominated for. A sweep. Um, so it is technically, <laughs> if not the worst film ever made, it's definitely down there. Um, so I found that quite interesting. But, it um, beat the records for the most awards had previously been held by the episode we did, the film we did two episodes ago, I Know Who Killed Me. This is what knocked that out, oh. holding the most awards won. This beat it. Yeah. Wow. I did look up what it did at the box office as well, kind of mm. its reception. Yeah. Um, so it came out in 2012 in the UK, not 2011. We got it later. Um, so I just looked up the 2012, the UK box office. So it went in at number five, didn't hit the top three. Um, the same week, it was up against Chronicle, Journey to the Mysterious oh, right. Island, The Descendants, War Horse, Jack and Jill came in at number five, and then Man on a Ledge, The Grey, A Monster in Paris, The Artist, and Carnage. And February 
is kind of in the UK known as the dump month. You get the end of the Oscar season. (laughs) So you get the kind of second wave of all the Oscar and BAFTA films. And then you get all the films that either didn't do well in the States, so they're not bothered about giving them a big UK release, or that they know won't do well enough to be a big summer release. So they just slip them in in February and you've not got much else to see, so you'll probably go watch it anyway. Yeah, because there's no other comedies there, was there? Or did I miss here? Because that all seems very serious. Like you say, a lot of Oscar stuff and then a lot of other kind of inconsequential... Yeah, so like Names. other UK films out that week, Puss in Boots was at number 15, which I'm a big fan of. Oh. Um, mm. And then <laughs> Johnny English Reborn was at 52. Um, and yeah, and Young Adult, which is a black comedy, but it's quite a dark comedy. It's, you wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Jack yeah, and Jill. It's a lot better film than any of those other ones you just mentioned, though, Young Adult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, also, what came out that week, which I loved and not only rewatched this week, was Martha Marcy May Marlene. Um, but that's a very oh. serious film. <laughs> yeah, very serious. But I love that, and I'm so glad it's on Disney Plus now. That will yeah. be one I'll be watching. Um, yeah. Let's have a quick chat. Oh, just before I move on, actually, I did note that obviously we had a chat about the Razzies. I do want to flag that it did win another award, guys. It won. Adam Sandler, a Kids' Choice Award for Favourite Movie Actor. So, you know, it's not all bad. (laughs) It's not all bad. Uh, Nominated against Adam Sandler was Jim Carrey for Thomas Tom Popper Jr. and Mr. Popper's Penguins, Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow for Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, and Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. So whilst I don't think Adam Sandler deserves that award for this film whatsoever, he also wasn't exactly up against the best. Yeah. No. Interesting. An interesting choice there. <laughs> I've not seen Mr. Popper's Penguins. No, me neither. I've not seen no. that Pirates of the Caribbean, but I think is that the shit one? Like on Stranger Which Tides. One is it, it, sorry? On Stranger Tides. I think yes, that's that is that was not the latest one that came out in 2017, but it was like the fourth one that was tacked on after yeah, the trilogy. Yeah. Uh, where the others didn't come back. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I quite like, I'll be honest, I quite like the first Pirates films, but the rest of the rest, first film, but the rest of them are not great, are they? You know? Yeah. And yeah. then Daniel Radcliffe, I enjoy the Harry Potter films because I have nostalgia as a kid, but especially in Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe is not that strong an actor. So. And also, listen, kids' choice, if they watched all of those films, what one are they going to pick? The one that makes fart jokes or yeah. or the one that, you know, is really, really dark about yeah. the one dark, the worst, sorry, the darkest one of the Harry Potter films. Like, yeah. Do you want to know what won uh, best movie of the year that year for the kids' choice tell me. Alvin and the Chipmunks, Chipwrecked. Right. Brilliant. <laughs> Right. I have to give it points because I love a punny name, so I have to give it some yeah. points. Yeah. <laughs> he looks so like he's lost the about... will to live. He's like, yeah. <laughs> just oh, him over the door. Oh, I've got to go. <laughs> yeah. Someone's at the door. Anyway. <laughs> um, I wanted to have a quick sort of like chat, as we always do, about sort of reviews and, and how this sort of performed against, because we know it's obviously been rated one of the worst films, but... I always love to know what critics sort of, you know, they have a wonderful way with words to talk about the films that they like, but they also have a wonderful way of words to talk about the films that they don't. So just starting on Rotten Tomatoes, the the uh, critic score for this, anyone want to take a guess? Oh, I think one? I know. So I'll let Lou have a guess. Oh, Lou? I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I am obviously uh, a Rotten Tomatoes of proof critic myself, 
know that um, <laughs> if I had reviewed it at the time, I would have given it, I don't know, 20% or, or, or one star. It would have right. been one star film for me out of five. So I, would okay. have, I, I think I would have gone for about 20. So I suspect probably the average sure. about 20, 30%. That's what I'm going to give. Now, okay, I well, feel I like I've read something, <laughs> and isn't it that it's something ridiculous, like 3%? Yep, 3%. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's unreal. That's unreal, really. I don't think... Have we had any so far, Claire, that's been that low? We've not had no, a single digit one. I didn't think so. I think this really pissed off critics, like, a lot. <laughs> Even Dave was this low, Because this was, like... Yeah. This is when he really kind of checked out in terms of like trying to make a good flowing film. This is when the whole thing right. about him, like he just does it to get all his mates to paycheck and to go on holiday. That's when that right. kind of narrative really came into play. And I think critics mm. took against that point. narrative quite harshly. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, well it kind of still worked for audiences um, because they got, you know, 10 times more than critics. They had a 36% score so it's not great but I mean still 10 times more than the more than the critics and the, the critics consensus was um although it features an inexplicably committed performance from Al Pacino clearly also a fan yeah. Jack and Jill is impossible to recommend on any level whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> exactly but the think about it think about it though that that audience score right most of the mm. people who even bothered to watch it would be died hardcore uh, Adam Sandler fan, sure. right? Mm-hmm. So imagine you take that; it's not being watched by everyone. A lot of people, no people will watch, will, would see it, a poster of it, and go, "That looks like absolute dog shit," right? And go, that was my thought. <laughs> nowhere near that abortion of a film, right? That's what most people would say when when they even see the poster. So the people who mm-hmm. have actually paid their money. They're either certifiable, literally dripping on themselves, right, or Adam Sandler fans, and there's definitely a crossover in that Venn diagram, right? Shots have been fired. Shots have been fired. Wow. So. Yeah, I mean. Therefore, so, so so what we're getting at is that audience score is out of those people. So imagine yeah. how bad it must be if it's only getting right. That's what I'm getting at because you can't. Oh that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very good that point, actually. <laughs> very good score. point. It's only out of people who've seen it, right? That audience score is not the people that wanted to watch it. This is it. It's like yeah. It's a bit like this is a bit like I mean, it's one of these philosophical questions, right? You know, like when um, there's a vote of anything, of mm-hmm. anything, there's a vote. It could be political. It could be whatever. Yeah. You're never, ever, ever talking about a population. You're talking about the people who've been bothered to vote, right? So the same with this. Sure. People who've given that score are people who've seen it. And a lot of people, 67% of the world, 80%, 90% of the world, who would rather cut their own leg off and hit, hit themselves in the face with it than watch that clip, <laughs> right? Those people have not even voted. So the only people who have voted are the people who I've already talked about. That's why. So 30%. Yeah. 
Wow. This seems like a great point to interject. (laughs) One of my friends, before I watched this, I told him I would be watching it. And he was like, oh, that's quite funny. There's like a couple of funny jokes in it. So after watching this, I sent him a very angry voice memo and demanded (laughs) that he reply with a voice memo defending the fact that he told me it wasn't that bad because he chose to watch this film and he would vote it as an okay movie. I watched the trailer again last night just to remind myself why I thought it was an okay film it's yeah do I want to watch it again no do you know I think the one part of it that actually really irritated me was Katie Holmes that was the only that was the part that like I just didn't enjoy watching and I quite like her in general but oh Katie snooze fest um but I thought actually there was something quite maybe a little bit a little bit heartfelt about Jack and Jill. And I just love those silly moments sometimes, like when she's in that scuba um on the uh, I love the bit when she's on the jet ski and it just like flips out the water and he's like, Please don't please don't damage my pool, please don't damage my pool. Uh and the bit when they're skipping and they're like <laughs> just they're just having a great time. That jump skipping scene is just hilarious. But if you really don't take it seriously and you take it with a pinch of salt and you've had a drink and you're not necessarily paying full attention, yeah, it's all right. What's my name? Dunkachino. It's a whole new game. Dunkachino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17 lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. Dunkachino. So I realized that I you know, probably might lose some respect for my opinion on this film. But, you know, personally, I love it. Um, you give me anything with Adam Sandler in, and I'll watch it to my to my heart's content. You know, who doesn't love a bit of sort of cheap slapstick comedy every now and then? I mean, granted, I think, you know, maybe the quality of, of the writing and, and whatnot is not the best, but, you know, I'm willing to look past that and just, you know, enjoy it for what it is. It's funny. I think it's you know it's laugh out loud funny, um, and you can't beat the scene with the jet ski in the water. I'm sorry, but that that just gets me every single time. Look, I mean, look, 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 look. Right, let me um, <laughs> let me qualify that. I have completely destroyed you. You know, we heard what I said, right? However, <laughs> I actually do like some Adam Sandler things, uh, films, and when we <laughs> when we talk about our rankings and stuff, it may surprise you that I what I say but generally the overarching <laughs> is if you want it if, if you saw the poster for this film uh, and you know what and you well I just say if you saw the poster you saw a trailer of this film and you still wanted to see it you have got toys in the attic mate that's all I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> sorry to my good friend Aiden and also friend of the pod Reese, who um clearly have a differing opinion than us Let's just leave that there. I think. (laughs) You know, I mean, look. I mean, what's this pod? 
podcast is about the worst films ever made, right? Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. That's what we, we were talking about. <laughs> True. One of the worst films ever made. We're not talking about it because of its artistic value, are we? You know? <laughs> yeah that's very true and like I have to I did want to share as well there's a few uh critics just like one-liners that Lou I feel like in particular you're gonna enjoy and um, so uh Mad About Movies podcast said um it was written by Brian uh, or said by Brian Gill I'm not saying we should take Pacino's Oscar away from him <laughs> but I'm just saying that's a that's a conversation that I'm willing to have <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rolling Stone were so harsh. They gave this film a, a zero. Like, there is nothing about this film that uh, Peter Travers <laughs> liked about. And he said, a total bust, a stupefyingly unfunny and shamelessly lazy farce packed with cringeworthy jokes and overt product placement. I mean, that last point is like, yeah. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Um, and last but not least um, IMDB user Prescott Candice said this film led me to create an IMDB account because if what I've said here can keep even one person from paying to see it (laughs) then I feel like it would have been worth writing (laughs) oh my word Um, was there any reviews that you found Claire that you you liked I know that we find some really funny letterbox ones sometimes so I'm going to do a serious one first just because I like to I like to be the Debbie Downer um, but so I did did feel like with the film and the context of the film, especially looking at it now in 2021, you are looking at a straight white male actor dressing up as a woman, kind of, mm. there's, there's issues. So I wanted to find if I could see any um, perspective of a trans person right. and what their view of this film was, because I wasn't sure from oh, my perspective, yes. you know, is it offensive, is it not? I... Yeah, I is found it offensive for different reasons, for completely other reasons, yeah. but not from that perspective. Creepy Pacino. So I found a podcast and it's called Is It Transphobic? And that is their podcast. Oh, they watch films and decide if the films are transphobic. And they rated it as a seven out of ten for kind of transphobia. Oh. But I was gonna say, yeah, on the scale of how transphobic it was, but they said they couldn't get that offended by it because the whole film is so bad and so kind of mediocrely offensive in every way that they didn't feel Mm -hmm. like it was purposefully attacking the trans community in any way no no it just they said it they felt it did harm to it because what by the the characterization of jill um you know, being so unfeminine, you know, she sweats mm. and she does this and she does that and she's really, like, masculine and can open a jar of pickles. They felt like that was highlighting that women can only be one thing and women can only be very petite, like Katie Holmes, and stand there and be good wives. Right. So they took issue yeah. with that element of it, but they felt like it wasn't particularly aiming for the trans community in any yeah. way. Yeah, and I felt like that was mm. an important thing to try and look oh, into. yes. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that. I think that's really important. So thank you for that. And I'm glad that it wasn't a 10 out of 10, at least for them. (laughs) Then I took a look at Letterboxd um, and there are a lot of five star reviews on Letterboxd, but there are a lot of trolled five star reviews on Letterboxd. (laughs) I found it quite hard to dig through, but I found two that I felt were actually maybe genuine so one from a user called Liv who just said show-stoppingly absurd and awful I love it and I think that Mm -hmm. might be genuine she just 
loves a bad film and yeah. um, and then Benjo Camber who watched it so both of these people only watched it last year um he also gave it five stars <laughs> and he said seriously unironically think this is one of Sandman and um, Sandman's Ocean Sandler best and probably my favorite of them all so stupid yet so endearing perfect way to de-stress from such a difficult job interview so going back to my point <laughs> maybe he just needed to just have something on that didn't require even the slightest level of brain power yeah. and this film helped him <laughs> yeah what was that bloke going for a job interview as a serial killer <laughs> <laughs> i hear they're recruiting these days <laughs> I just found Claire. There's a there's a review on on Letterbox where moderator has actually removed the review, and I am like, what on earth is oh this, this person saying? It's got 161 likes though, so uh, damn. Love to um, have seen that one, but then its most high, its highest, that like its most common rating on Letterbox is one or half a star. Yeah. So mm. I found one from Todd Carper, who went. He gave it half a star, but he then clarified 0.3%. Um, and he said it's the third worst movie he has ever seen and then linked to a list of the 10 worst films he's ever seen. And of that list, number three is Jack and Jill. Yeah. Number two is Speed 2 Cruise Control, which we will cover at some point for oh, this podcast. We will be. But it's in the yeah. 90s, so the users of IMDb disagree with Todd. And then the first one is American Psycho 2 starring Mila Kunis, which didn't get a cinematic release. So doesn't count as part of the IMDb top uh, bottom ah, 100. I see. So we won't get to see that, but clearly Todd has some opinions. So interested in those. And then another one, which relates to our list um, from Honey Badger J who only watched this 10 days ago. Uh, he said, I was able to sit through the human centipede two on my first try and couldn't even sit through five minutes of this garbage on two separate attempts. <laughs> Point is, life is so much better without this in it. I, I think I've seen human centipede two, actually. That, that was like Citizen Kane compared to this. <laughs> and I'm going to use that clip as our advert for when we eventually do human centipede two. Oh my two. God. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm putting that off for a little bit longer. I think we're suffering enough with the uh, pandemic already. We don't need to be putting human centipedes in it as well. Bearing in mind, I have seen them all before. So I've only I seen mean, the first one. Actually, being a part of a human centipede would be better than what. <laughs> Lou, and you like it more than I do. <laughs> yeah, this is biting. I love this. I love this. Just the last tiny review I found, which relates to reviews mm -hmm. we seem to always find. It's a big thing on Letterboxd from Foonie mm. for Klutzy. Surely there's a deep porno fake of this movie. What's the rule? There's a rule 34 if, if it exists as a porn of it. And unfortunately, that's something I'm going to be thinking of every time we review one of these films. I've eaten my lunch, but it might come up again after it. <laughs> right, let's stop that there then, because I want to save Lou from having to see his, see his lunch again. Yeah. Let's talk about the films that we do like from Adam Sandler. We said we were going to do our top three. Lou, let's go with you first. Tell us a bit more about what's in your top three and why. Right. First of all, I'm completely breaking the rules because that's the kind of guy I am. Um, I've actually got two. Love it. I've got Renegade. top threes. And maybe maybe what I'll do really, <laughs> really nice is I'll give you my two top threes and then we can boil them down and choose a, a final top three out of them. So here we go. For me, the very best Adam Sandler, the best three Adam Sandler films 
there's a reason I've split them up is because these three I'm going to mention are all dramatic roles. Right. Mm-hmm. So, right. Okay. Sure. So I've, I'm going to rattle through these because I've got like six to talk about, really. So, Punch Drunk Love, <laughs> which is a brilliant um, Paul Thomas Anderson film, which was for me the first thing I ever saw where I thought, oh, Adam Sandler was, a, was could do it as a dramatic actor. I've actually forgotten mm-hmm. most of what the film mm-hmm. about, but I remember it being very good, uh, and I will revisit it at some point. So that's mm-hmm. enough about that for a second. Secondly, Funny People. He plays a um, a comedian who's mm-hmm. trying to revitalise his career, and his writers are um, Seth Rogen plays a guy who's like a fresh talent and who's writing for him. And I think off the top of my head, Judd Apatow directed it, and it's got loads of sort of cameos of decent stand-up. Although it's it's it is about comedy, and it is, and it is very funny in parts, which it is. It is definitely a dramatic role and definitely a dramatic film. And it's really like, it is serious, but it is really good. It's serious about comedy. And I, I kind of like that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But, but mm. those two those two are both yeah. great and dramatic and prove that Adam Sandler can really, really smash it as a, as a dramatic actor because he can. But by far and away his best film, and mm-hmm. actually this will, this will definitely be the number one on my combined list, is Uncut Gems. Because he is wicked in Uncut mm-hmm, Gems. Mm-hmm. Yes. The role he was absolutely born yeah. to do. The Safdie brothers um, tried to get him early mm-hmm. uh, on, uh, on as this New York um, jeweler who's like a gambling addict. Um, and he's, he's set in the Diamond District mm-hmm. in New York, all shot mm-hmm. around there. Really good. It's all the way through it. The Safdie brothers are brilliant directors and they've got better and better with each film. But Uncut Gems, it's. The, the whole film is on him all the way through. It's him ducking and diving and wheeling mm-hmm. and dealing and doing this this deal over this huge gem and trying to get millions of dollars and, and so on. But he owns mm-hmm. money left, right and centre and he's a chronic mm-hmm. gambling addict. He keeps putting money on bets he shouldn't do and he gets wound up in the wrong uh, mm-hmm. criminal people. Uh, and it's tense and it's vital and it's brilliant. It's one of the best films of the last five years for me and... Sandler mm. was was grotesquely left out of most um, of the acting awards and mm-hmm. He did win, I think, the mm. Independent Spirit Award, and even his uh, it was certainly an Independent Cinema Award of some kind. It might well have been Independent Cinema. I should have googled this, but never mm-hmm. mind. He um, he won the award <laughs> and he did a brilliant acceptance speech, and that alone. His acceptance speech is better than his old performance in Jack and Jill, um, but like. Uncut Gems is by far and away, <laughs> by far and away his, his greatest performance, um, without a doubt. And that's so that's the very absolutely so that's three serious roles, and those are for me the best films he's actually mm-hmm. done. However, all that said, Uncut Gems I will hopefully watch another <laughs> maybe two or three times in my life. Funny People I will watch again. Punch Drunk Love I will probably watch again, but I'm not rushing to mm-hmm. see those. But I will watch them again. However, three mm, yeah. comedies for me. And the only three comedies I can really stomach of his to watch, uh, Happy Gilmore in at three, which is, <laughs> is the same director as what we just watched, Dennis Duggan, and I think he's pretty good. It is silly and it is kind of shit, but it's actually kind of, it's like, it's kind of interesting because he does like satirise and completely destroy golf. And golf is a very silly sport. I mean, my old man mm-hmm. likes it. It's not necessarily bad right. for me, but it is a very silly sport, but Adam Sandler completely destroys it in Happy Gilmore. Second comedy, I would say, is Fifty First Dates, which I really enjoy because I feel like the the Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. and um, and Sandler are brilliant on screen. Why they've only done so few films, I don't know because they're obviously yeah. a couple on screen. But by, mm. by far, his best comedy for me, even though Uncut Gems has got some very funny moments. 
By far for me, the best thing he's done comedy-wise is The Wedding Singer, which is pretty funny all the way through. It's brilliant because mm. Steve Buscemi right. plays a, a bitter drunk. Um, Drew Barrymore is his kind of love interest mm-hmm. in it. And he, he plays a, the, the uh, eponymous yeah. wedding singer and it is, is really funny and really good. Oh, and it's mm-hmm. set in the 80s and stuff and the music is all quite funny. Uh, the music is good and Billy Idol's in it and all sorts. So, yeah, the, wed- the wedding singer is actually, I think I've got mm-hmm. it on DVD, so I must quite like that. Um, but anyway, those would be my top six. Um, <laughs> so happy first 50 first dates, the wedding singer, and then on the the, the um the, the drink mm-hmm. side, Punch Drunk Love, Funny People and Uncut Gems. If you put a gun to my head, mm-hmm. I would go... <laughs> Which we do on this podcast, by the way. No, no, you're not so going to put a gun to your head. We're going to make you rewatch Jack and Jill. No, no. Yeah, oh which God. is worse. Worse. Way worse. That's like, that's like some combo bay culture. I would go top three. I would go, go on then, I'll go wedding singer in at three, funny people at two, uncut gems at one, if I absolutely have to. But those nice. I love. Everything else, is, awesome. everything else I've seen Adam Sandler in, I've thought mm-hmm. was unwatchable. But those six films are like... Mm-hmm. It's crazy, isn't it? The disparity between yeah. something where you're like, wow, he should have won awards yeah. for this. like, yeah. And then the other stuff, it's like, burn it. I don't yeah. I don't yeah. even want to acknowledge yeah. that he exists. Yeah. Yeah. He is a man of versatility, that's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> it's bonkers, isn't it? It's like you never... Had you watched mm. his early stuff and never ever... You'd never in a million years think he'd be capable of something like Uncut Gems, but then you see it mm-hmm. like, no, man, this bloke is immense. He's as good as anyone out there. You know, just mm-hmm. in the right role mm-hmm. and working with the right directors and give him a decent script and he can do it, he can smash it. Um, there you go. So I'm going to jump in with my top three because Lou mentioned yes. all three of my films already. Oh, so I feel like that's good to jump in on. Um, so I will say, caveat this, I have never seen The Wedding Singer. Oh. So it doesn't. So I saw. Neither have bit, I. Oh, I saw. I feel like I need to do a big like Adam Sandler like fill in the gaps. For mine. To be honest, Adam Sandler is the reason I never saw it. So I saw bits of the Waterboy years ago on a coach to Spain. So I'm sitting on a coach as a kid, and there's nothing to do but watch the video that they put on. And I found Waterboy so bad that I read a book instead. Right. And I do love reading. That's not saying books bad, but like, yeah. just hated the Waterboy. Yeah. So then I avoided the Wedding Singer because I didn't like Adam Sandler right. so I've never gone back to revisit it which is my own fault and I should and I know I should because people love it but so my top three um I am also going for funny people at number three um I'm a big Judd Apatow fan I'm a big fan of Seth Rogen I think Adam Sandler is really good in it and he does that little bit of like he is he's playing a version of himself right. there's self-reflection in it it is too long it does have yeah. flaws it needs an edit um which stops me from re-watching it and makes me forget it but every time I remember about it and it's one of those ones that did it has a bit of an ITV2 run as well whenever I caught bits of it I was like I like this film. This is a good film. This is a solid, it's a solid script. It's good characterization. You get a full arc, you get development. I think it's, you know, and I think it's an interesting Sandler performance because he's tiptoeing that line of really doing his comedy stick, but then trying to be more sensitive and look into that kind of deeper element. So that's my number Mm. three. My number two is Uncut Gems. Um, Just, yeah, for every reason you said, I got to see that at a preview screening in the cinema at Prince Charles. That is a film to watch in a cinema, like a pressure cooker. And I knew very little about it, which again, I was so chuffed because I had no idea what I was getting into. I was so stressed by the end of it. I've not rewatched it yet because again, it's, it's not a film that you want to revisit 
all the time. It's a film that I will revisit at one point. It's the only Safdie Brothers film I've seen, so I actually want to revisit mm. their older stuff and watch them and then rewatch Uncut Gems, do like a whole retrospective. They're all, they're all, they're all that tense. Yeah, which is why I've not done it because yeah, I don't need that yeah, energy right all now. Got <laughs> the tension. They're, they're all, they're all yeah. that, that mindset and that, and and they do that thing where you kind of hate the characters but you like them as well. There's that little bit about them yeah. You like, but, but but most people would agree that probably Uncut Gems is is their best. The best, yeah. But and that's thing. I think that's why I respect that film so much as well. Because I've spoken about it in the past on the pod, and I speak about it a lot when I write about films and talk about films. Is I really struggle to engage with films where I don't like the main character. For me, the character is the open door to me to get me involved in a film. I have to engage in some way with the main character. For them to be able to make such a hateful character and me still be one hundred percent in, one hundred percent involved, rooting for him they've done a good job because they've taken the thing that I struggle with the most and still made me 100% all in, which to me, I'm like, mm-hmm. you've done a great job because I know that's a flaw I have in my own watching. Um, and then my top one, I've mentioned it a lot, it's 50 First Dates, love a rom-com, love Drew Barrymore, love a sweet story. It's adorable. They're adorable. There's some penguins. Um, you know, on a rewatch, I saw some flaws that I probably didn't see when I was 12, but the nostalgia kept me going anyway just really enjoyed it i love the beach boys that song just makes me so happy (laughs) and that's my three oh it's such a good one that is number three on my list um it's just one that's always stuck with me and i agree (laughs) with you guys very sweet it's Mm. by no means perfect but it's just one of those ones you can stick on and know you're gonna have a nice good time Mm -hmm. um obviously you guys have covered that quite a bit so i'll move on to my number two which is click love clips like i've watched it so long i've never got through it i've tried watching it on a couple of occasions and it just doesn't sit with me about it I don't, yeah. I'm not an Adam Sandler film. And I also, is it Jessica Biel, his wife in that? I really don't like Jessica Biel. Oh, I can't so, remember which beautiful woman is his wife, the, to be honest, in every film. The cast but. just turns me off. But I do remember watching a bit of it where he like goes too far forward and everyone's really old and like, he's yes. not old or something. And it's, I was like, man, this is it, dark. Yeah, it gets dark. I love time travel in films and this kind of plays on that in a modern way. And... I, I just watched it when I was a kid and a teenager and it's kind of stuck with me and there is a point where it gets really like dark and, and quite upsetting and I think that just adds another element to mm-hmm. an Adam Sandler film that I haven't necessarily seen in anything else so that that's a bit of a personal favorite for mine and mm-hmm. of mine and then my number one is Uncut Gems as well because my <laughs> word I have never felt so anxious that I have anxiety about something that is not happening to me yeah but I am like, oh my god! Every single decision he was making, I was like, why are you doing this? What? Why? Yeah, why? Yeah. And I got so Stop into it. And things. It's not like you say something that you'd rush to see again because it doesn't fill you with the with the feeling that you want. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I kind of want to watch it now and be like, oh god! At least my life's not as bad as this guy's. Jesus, <laughs> kind of give me a bit of, <laughs> a bit of a baseline to work back on. And I just think he's. Uh, it was unrecognisable in that role, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. amazing. And I know you guys have, have spoken about most of the films on my list anyway, so I just wanted to give a little honourable mention to Bedtime Stories. It's something I always used to watch with my little brothers. Um, so it was one that was out, when did it come out? It came out in 2008. So um, I was a teenager at the time, but my little brothers were kids and it's something we watched with my dad. And it's basically based, uh, it's a, like a fantasy um, 
Adam Sandler is their uncle, uh, the kids, sorry, the kids' uncle um, in the in the story, and he tells them bedtime stories and everything he he sort of tells when they interject with their fun and fancy uh, fantastical ideas comes real in his life. So it starts raining like gumballs and like it just all these fancy things happen. It's just very sweet and mm-hmm. it's just a nice family film. And like, it's again, something that I've got that nostalgia attachment yeah. to. And it's not something that I hear many people talk about. I don't know if it's kind of like, mm, yeah, it's got 2.4 in Letterboxd. I don't think it's mm-hmm. uh, quite highly revered, but um, it's nice and it's fun and it's got cool people in it. It's got Kerry Russell in, Guy Pearce, Courtney Cox, Lucy Lawless, Carmen Electra, Jonathan Price is in it as well. Mad. <laughs> anyway, I might give that a rewatch and see if it holds yeah. up. <laughs> so the only other film that would have maybe gone onto my list um, was Pixels, mm. which loads of people hate. People oh, really didn't like God. Pixels. I just thought I it was really good fun. Like it. I just had fun at the cinema, man. I went in, I saw some things that reminded me of being a kid. I got excited because mm. I wanted them to win. I just had a fun time at the cinema. <laughs> and that's that's the I thing. Wouldn't... It's by no means anyway a high caliber film, but it was exactly the no, film it told me it would be. And I had fun. Yeah. Right. I gave it one and a half stars by the looks on Letterboxd. <gasps> I really didn't yeah. like it. Like, I, I don't think, give that low for anything. Like, I would give it like three, three point five. Um, but I'm not a Sandler fan. And no, no, it's nowhere near that low. Is it not? No. Oh, it's probably like a hundred and one or something. <laughs> I think it's just because I've seen so many people slate it that I'm quite surprised. It's, it's so I think it either got mediocre or slated, and I'm on the like mediocre to good. And I think there were probably right. more mediocre to good, but people don't celebrate mm. the mediocre mediocre to good reviews. They only no, celebrate they the great reviews or the awful reviews. That's very true. That's very true. Now we've sort of given our. Uh, best. I just kind of wanted to ask you guys what your kind of, I know Lou, you mentioned earlier, but it'd be good for you to mention again, what your rating of this film would be and whether you think it should be on the bottom 100 and whether you think, you know, should we burn it? Should people never see this again? <laughs> out, per Al Pacino's quote. What do you think? I mean, there's about like <laughs> 10 minutes of it that are worth watching just because it's, it, if you're interested in like, you know, Al Pacino, it's worth seeing his scenes. Because it is play, him playing, you know, him playing True. a version of himself. But, I mean, put mm-hmm. it this way, I'll probably never watch it again. And, and that, I don't feel bad about that at all. And it is really only a one-star film. If, you, if you're rating stuff out of five, it's a one-star mm-hmm. film. It's a two-hour. It's, it's a, you know, 20%. It, it's, it's not really worth a lot. If no one ever talked about it again beyond this podcast, it wouldn't be a great problem with the world. Um, but although <laughs> it's... Although it's um, you know, I can see why why some people might have a a, a, a problem with it. If we're going to get into identity mm. politics and talk about, you know, uh, the, the trans community might have a problem with it, but it's not malicious. It's clearly not maliciously against that. No. What I mean, it, it's not done to say, "Oh, trans people." It's it's like it's everything at the service. Yeah. The ridiculousness of Adam Sandler. Do you know what I mean? I feel personally, but mm-hmm. I can understand why. Yeah, I can yeah. understand why it, it, uh, a trans person mm-hmm. might go against it, and that's that's fine too. And again, I can see the point of like, mm-hmm. it's not great for women that Katie Holmes has got such a non-part. Do you know what I mean? It, it's like you've got a decent. Mm-hmm. Accent, mm-hmm. Why not, why not use, mm-hmm. You could give her some good lines there. You know what I mean? There's no for, for me, but mm-hmm. who knows? You know when the script was when the script was being written and put together. Clearly, Sanders the star, the star, right? So he wants all the light on him as much as possible. So I get that as well. So, so that said, all that said, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, it's like it's a bad film. It is a terrible film, you know. Um, 
and, and like I said, it still baffles me and will always baffle me what, what, how it's cost that amount of money. But ultimately, like, mm. it, doesn't really, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't really matter because it's not like, it's bad and it's ter- it, it's awful, but it's not like offensive, I don't think. I don't think. But hey, you know, what, what, what does it matter what I say, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I've loved everything you've had to say, so yeah, no, <laughs> I've loved I'm, everything you've had to say. I'm going to jump in with my opinion then, which is kind of mm. similar but opposite of Lou's. Because one thing we didn't discuss, and I, I get why we didn't discuss it, because it's not we are free British white people. Exactly. Um, exactly. There were some questionable oh, yeah. race jokes. There were some questionable <laughs> racial stereotypes that I found myself feeling uncomfortable with, but I don't want to talk for other communities and how they would feel about something. But it felt very dated to me, considering it's only 10 years oh, old. Yeah. It felt like date movie kind of like jokes. Like I was like, why is this? No. <laughs> I found those elements of it offensive and again though I think I that's yeah. where I agree with Lou I don't think it was setting out to offend anyone yeah. Yeah. but unfortunately it, it was mildly offensive and it because it was very stereotypical and I think looking at it you have to like looking at it from a 2021 lens those jokes aren't great I think though even looking at it from a 2011 lens they would have been a bit oh that's a bit orcs mm. um so I found that level of it very uncomfortable but I am also not that the fan of that style of humor either and um, I would agree it's, it's a one-star film it's not a good film I don't I would struggle to be able to recommend it any higher than one star there are a couple of tiny elements that are maybe redeemable but it, it's a bad it's a bad film I think you're burning it then I'm burning it I think it does deserve to be on this list both because I think it's a bad film in that the jokes are tasteless and they're lazy which is where I find the offensiveness coming in because I find those stereotype jokes are just lazy writing um, and lazy humour but as we said at the start humour is very subjective so I might be completely alone in that opinion but I also think just in terms of story when like Lou mentioned earlier it's just a really weak story there's actually not yeah. much there once you take out the conceit of Sandler playing two parts as a film and as a plot there's nothing there so I don't think this film should exist because I think it's one conceit about Sandler playing two roles is wasted and not funny and then there's nothing yeah. after when you take that away there's nothing left so yeah. burn it <laughs> Okay, all right. Well, you you guys have the physical copy, so I'll leave the burning to you. But um, I, so I was toying with this, and you know I don't tend to rate films very low, and I think that's just because even when things are bad, I get something out of them. Mm. So I was thinking something middle of the road, like two and a half. But do you know Daisy. what? Daisy. Be- because because the things that I've rated two, I genuinely hate, like Attack of the Clones. So I thought, well, I don't hate it. But then I thought, do you know what, though? It's more a case of I sat down and watched it and I was like, do you know what? I have nothing good to say about it. I don't have tons of like I have bad things to say, but not from a from a sense of like it. this hurts me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I shouldn't be like that with something that costs this amount of money, has Al Pacino in and has Adam Sandler in when we know what he can do. Mm-hmm. The fact that it is done so lazily, I'm like, do you know what? I'm dropping I'm dropping down because because you should know better kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I am only dropping it down to two. Because <laughs> you have to I have to really, really hate something to be to be low. So uh, I'm going for two. I do think it probably should be on the bottom one hundred because like 
just do better, you know? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. step it up because you have the money. There's people out here who have no money trying to make films that are amazing and you, just you could do better if you just tried a mm-hmm. little bit. So I think that's probably why I'm like, it deserves it. It's phoned in, apart from Al Pacino. Yeah. Yeah, which I kind of just want to watch like a supercut of his scenes now and like <laughs> oh, never sure watch that exists. film again, but just but just watch a YouTube video of just his scenes. <laughs> cool. So I think that about wraps it up for us. Um, but obviously we always want to hear um, listeners' thoughts uh, about today's episode and also the film we were discussing, Jack and Jill. So who out there has seen it? Does anyone want to give it a go now? And do you think that it deserves a place on the bottom 100? Give us a shout over on Twitter and Instagram at RatedPod. And you can follow us on Letterboxd at WRated. Lou, where can everyone find you on socials? And is there anything that you want to give a bit of a shout out that you've been working on lately? Oh, God, um, that's a good question. Uh, so my day gig is, uh, my day gig, I work at the BFI and um, obviously anything I've said in this pod does not reflect the opinions of the lead film organisation in Britain, right? Because obviously I'm in trouble for that, okay? Uh, so my day job, I'm digital production editor on bfi.org.uk, so you can often find my features that I've interviewed various directors or written about films as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but also awesome. you can find my freelance work, generally speaking, nme.com, sight and sound, print and online, uh, Little White Lies, occasional print, sometimes online, Den of Geek occasionally, and that Scottish magazine, The Skinny, which is really good. I write for them occasionally. And there's a few, oh, yeah. there's a few other things I've got in the pipeline, but they're the, the sort of chief things. You can see my video oh. essay for the BBC, which is called Pubs on Film which is, you know, you can see it on iPlayer and all mm, that. And nice. Google Inside Cinema Pubs on Film. You know, Great. That comes up. Uh, I mean, there's loads of bits and pieces. Perfect. There's loads of bits and pieces, but but that's, that's the bulk of it. What else? You can see me usually online moaning about Tottenham doing terribly in the league. Um, otherwise, nonsense <laughs> about films on Twitter. That's pretty much what I do. We love doing that, don't we? we do. Where where can we find you writing nonsense on on uh, about film on Twitter, Claire? <laughs> uh, so you can find me at Claire Ellen Hope, Claire without an I. Cool. So you can find me at Daisy Vic Edwards on Twitter and Daisy Victoria Edwards on Instagram and Letterbox. Um, just want to say a big thanks for everyone tuning in to listen. Um, if you are still enjoying listening to our podcast, please do give us a follow or a subscribe. And if you're feeling generous, a little rating or a review as well thank you for those who've done that so far um and we hope that you join us back for our next episode where we explore another worst rated film with another special guest so see you then and thanks for listening bye bye burn this i'm sorry this must never be seen by anyone if you didn't like all those close-ups, we can, we can, no, this is not the final cut. There's no doubt we, we can. All we, copies. Destroy them. <laughs>